Well, it's, I think coming in like blind, like you say, makes you extremely curious. And mm -hmm. also with like a help, a healthy skepticism, like yeah. if someone tells you something, you're like, okay, I'm not sure. I have to go check like 10 other, with 10 <laughs> other people before I know for sure that I can believe what you're saying. Kind of thing. Right, yeah. right. Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with Deanne McCarthy, founder and CEO of SwiftSure Innovations. Deanne was a critical care nurse before she decided to make the switch to medtech entrepreneur. With Deanne's commitment to empowering nurses and enhancing patient outcomes, SwiftSure has assembled a phenomenal team and a robust group of advisors that has enabled the company to move incredibly quickly across key functions like product development, regulatory affairs, and commercialization. Here are a few of the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, good accelerator programs will allow you to tap into a wealth of expertise. Don't be shy about converting your mentors into active players in your startup. Second, not knowing everything is perfectly okay. Harness your curiosity in every facet of your venture to ensure you find the right resources to reach your milestones. Third, don't be afraid to ask for favors. And to reciprocate, approach your network with the spirit of generosity. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that the latest edition of MedSider Mentors is now live. Volume 4 summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last several months with folks like Rob Ball, CEO of Shoulder Innovations, Kate Rumrell, CEO of Ablative Solutions, Dr. Christian Ramdo, CEO of Tempa Health, and other leaders of some of the hottest startups in the space. Look, it's tough to listen or read every MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones. But there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. And if you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. You'll also be able to see all of our playbooks, which are hand-picked collections of the most insightful interviews with the brightest founders and CEOs. Whether you're looking to master capital fundraising, navigate early stage development, tackle regulatory challenges, understand reimbursement, or position your venture for a meaningful exit, MedSider Playbooks have you covered. And last, considering that fundraising can be one of the most daunting tasks for any startup, we created a meticulous database of investors right at your fingertips. Explore a wealth of VC funds, private equity firms, angel groups, and more, all eager to invest in medical device and health technology startups. Access to this database is a premium member exclusive, so don't miss out. Learn more about MedSider Mentors and our premium memberships by visiting MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. All right, without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. All right, Deanne, welcome to MedSider Radio. Appreciate you coming on. Oh, thanks so much for having me here. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah, likewise, especially considering kind of where you're at with the company. This should be a fun conversation. So with that said, I recorded a short bio at the outside of this interview. Uh, it was very short. So I always like to start here. If you can kind of give us an elevator pitch of your background kind of leading up to co-founding the, the company, that'd be great. 
Yeah, after finishing high school, I did a Bachelor of Business Admin and had some great work experiences with that. I was an executive assistant for a regional director for an international company that did contract management for public-private partnership hospital developments in uh, Victoria, BC. And I was a community liaison lead for that project. So yeah, that work gave me a lot of understanding of contracts, relationship management, legal requirements, fiduciary responsibilities, corporate governance, communications. And um, my boss also taught me to play golf at this annual fundraiser. That, we- <laughs> so that was really cool. I still play golf to this day. But after having my second child, I moved back to the east coast of Canada, where I'm from, to be closer to the family. And then at that time, I went back to do my bachelor in nursing. And I quickly fell in love with um, critical care and emergency care. And our organization did a really good job of providing excellent education for many nationally accredited programs, such as ACLS, PALS, um, EMPC, TNCC. So we were a regional center that cared for like a range of patients from pediatric, trauma, cardiac, post-op. And um, so I was really lucky in my career to have like strong nursing mentors who were leaders in that environment. And um, I really modeled myself after other nurses that I deeply respected and So I had obviously professional standards as a nurse, but my personal standards were guided by like, if this was my critically ill loved one, would this be acceptable to me? So I kind of always did my best kind of regardless of what happened that day. And, you know, I could kind of sleep at night Mm kind of knowing that. And so, but like a few things obviously did keep me up at night and I was always dissatisfied and really even frustrated by providing oral care for patients on life support. And one patient in particular, you know, had a a really good prognosis for recovery. He was a man in his late fifties and he had really poor oral health that we couldn't correct despite our best effort, the limitations of the supplies at our disposal. And he ended up developing ventilator required pneumonia, became septic, went into multi-organ failure and died as a result. And it was really heartbreaking, you know, his kids were in high school. And so, yeah, so I, I really started obsessing over oral care after the situation. And I had another patient shortly after who had been a difficult intubation and ended up with a large amount of dried blood in their mouth. And, um, you know, I couldn't get the blood out by wiping and suctioning. And regardless of how much I wiped and suctioned, I wasn't able to do a good job. And it was kind of a stark visual indicator of the poor job I was doing. So that night I literally lied awake thinking, you know, how am I going to clean this patient's mouth? And I remember thinking, you know, if I could rinse it, I could really do a good job of cleaning it. And like, literally, that's kind of when the concept came to me. And that's um, kind of how that's where it all started. Kind of that's where my journey to entrepreneurship began. So you started the company, um, looks like early 2020. Is that correct? Yeah, 2021 is when we incorporated and that was for um, so we can assign IP to a company and 2020, September 2021 was when we closed our first round of funding. Okay. Okay. Got it. And we're recording this in, you know, kind of back half of 2023 here. So about two years in or so, uh, at least to the formally two years in, uh, I'm sure the, the ideas and, and brainstorming kind of started, started before then. So that's super helpful. So give us th- that, that origin story of, of, of Schwiskit is, is super helpful. So maybe give, give us a, a little bit more detail on the product itself and then give us a sense kind of for where you're at currently, you know, you, ra- you, you mentioned you, ra- you raised a, a round of financing. So I uh, would love to learn a little bit more about where the company's at today. Yeah. Okay. So, well, the issue with patients on life support, so they've got that tube connecting the mechanical ventilator to the patient's lungs, obviously, and that's creating a direct route for bacteria in the mouth to enter the lungs. 
So oral care has been shown to decrease the incidence of ventilator-acquired pneumonia. So it, it makes sense. It reduced bacteria in the mouth and you can um, reduce the amount that enters the lungs. It's just the problem that oral care in ICU is it's really terrible. You know, us nurses can't visualize the oral cavity because these patients are unconscious and sedated. And, um, you know, the tube is crowding the oral cavity, making it impossible to clean above or behind it. And so these patients also are unable to eat or drink anything. And the average length of mechanical ventilation is five days. Um, so like, you know, we're not able to rinse their mouth because there's no way to make sure that fluid wouldn't travel down the respiratory tract and increase risk of aspiration. So just like for yourself, look, imagine how terrible you'd feel if you slept all night with your mouth open and then yeah. woke up in the morning with that super dry mouth and like literally couldn't go rinse your mouth after. And so that's what these patients on life support experience. And <laughs> the average length of mechanical ventilation is five days. So I've seen literally a decline in oral health status for all of my mechanically ventilated patients beyond one day. Um, so the, the swish kit's really simple. It's, it's a consumable single-use mouthpiece that easily fits into the oral cavity and its elegant design makes it easy to rinse all areas of the oral cavity. So it uses gravity to suction fluid at the same time it's introduced. It's the first device of its kind. So and nurses who use the device like it because it allows them to cleanse areas that they couldn't previously reach. And it's fast and easy to use and fits within the workflow of an ICU. Mm. So, And we've even had nurses that we've engaged with want to put it in their own mouth and try it, <laughs> um, needing, to under, needing to understand like how it works and how it will safely rinse the patient's mouths. And after using it, you know, they can't believe how well it works and how refreshing it feels to have their mouths rinsed in this way. And we have some really great tailwinds too. So the VAP prevention um, guidelines were published in 2022 in May, and it urged for the de-adoption of chlorhexidine, which is an antimicrobial that was commonly used for years to limit bacteria in the oral cavity. And so they're urging now for the de-adoption of chlorhexidine, um, making you know providers scrambling kind of to find a solution to mm -hmm. use in, in its absence. And also those standards for the first time deemed uh, toothbrushing an essential practice, meaning that all acute inpatient hospitals need to adopt toothbrushing, um, and which is really exciting for us since our product completes toothbrushing by rinsing away everything that's been mechanically dislodged throughout the toothbrushing process. So huh. we've been working on a product development for almost a year before these guidelines were published. So the timing is incredible for us. That's yeah, great. That's great. I, lo I love hearing about, you know, some of those tailwinds. You, you need need everything you can get, right? Trying to trying to push the boulder up the hill. So I say absolutely. Like we didn't plan that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, works definitely works into into, into your favor. So, where, where are you at now? I mean, we're like I said, we're recording this in, in September of of twenty three. Uh, you've been you've been you know the, the company has I guess been formally kind of in, incorporated for a couple of years now. So, where, where where are you at in terms of you know development, Rayclin, commercialization, et cetera? So yeah, so we closed our pre seed round in September twenty twenty one. We did multiple rounds of iterative prototyping with mul um, many like end user groups and critical mm -hmm. care nurses in the ICU. We reached design freeze in the summer of 2022, transferred to manufacturing, completed our clinical use validation study at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, which was very positive in Q1 of 2023, and also at the same time registered our device, which is class 2510K exempt. Uh, so we were registered with the FDA. So we did all this work in less than 18 months mm -hmm. with less than $1 million of funding. So our team's incredible and I'll yeah. get into that later. But um, so currently we're now doing our limited commercial launch and we're targeting hospitals that have really strong nursing leadership and are passionate about oral care and its ability to prevent pneumonia. 
And so, you know, our work with early adopters is going to help us validate our business model, our pricing assumptions, help us to optimize our training materials and help us really solidify relationships with our reference customers. And, yeah. um, you know, during our, our staff commercial launch, we really want to make sure that we've done everything to make implementation for new customers as seamless as possible during our full market launch in 2024. Got it. And Got we're it. also prepping for our next study at the Cleveland Clinic right now. Okay. Okay, cool. That's that's super helpful overview. And I absolutely love teams that move fast, right? And especially considering it's not like you had, you know, four or five swings under your belt, you know, and have been able to learn through, you know, various, various ventures. You sort of like went, you know, are tackling this almost from scratch, probably from a, with, with a fresh set of eyes and saying, well, wh why can't we do that? Or why is it taking yeah. so long? Right? Like asking yeah. those obvious questions that some of us, you know, that have been sort of around the block, aren't used to yeah. maybe asking, you know, so. Absolutely. Eh. Well, it's, I think coming in like blind, like you say, makes you extremely curious. And mm -hmm. also like um, with like a health, a healthy skepticism, like if yeah. someone tells you something, you're like, okay, I don't, I'm not sure. I have to go check like 10 other, with 10 other people <laughs> before. I know for sure that I can believe what you're saying. Kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You see the matrix of tests that need to be done. You're like, why do we have to do a hundred million tests on this thing? You know what I mean? No, I'm, I'm kind of yeah. just joking, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I love, I love the sense that I, I can probably imagine, right. You, you're, you're seem like a, like naturally curious. Right. And I'm sure that's been, you know, probably applicable and, and helpful. Right. As you, as you, as your team is kind of moving, moving quickly, you know, hearing you describe kind of the, the simplicity of the device, it feels very much like kind of one of those, I, I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I bet you get a lot of this reaction of like, oh, why haven't we had something like this before, right? Because it's, 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 a, it's a big problem. Sounds like the standard of care. I'm not overly familiar with like this, this sort of this environment within the healthcare setting, but it sounds like it's, it's, a, it's a big problem and the standard of care doesn't really work that well, especially if the guidelines are changing. We, yeah. we literally, every single critical care nurse that we've interacted with acknowledge that this is a massive gap in oral care that's mm. likely leading to poor patient outcomes, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I think that's, that's a good kind of a uh, uh, transition point to kind of go back in time and learn a little bit about the journey, even though it's a, you know, you, you're, you're moving fast, you've been able to accomplish a lot in, in a short amount of time. I think there's going to be some helpful learnings for other, other founders, CEOs, or kind of, you know, startup people that like, like startups to, to, to learn from your experiences. So let's use this as an opportunity to kind of go, go back in time. But um, for those that are listening and don't get to the full summary article on Medsider, uh, website is swiftsure.com. So Swift. And then sure, just as it as it sounds, swiftsure.com. We'll link to it in the full uh, the full summary on Medsider uh, as well as Dion's LinkedIn profile. But uh, again, uh, feel free to check out the technology there if you don't get a chance uh, to to visit the full write up. So with that said, um, I want to go back in time and first maybe cover kind of some of the early development, right? And you, and you mentioned that you went through um, I think roughly about twelve months of iteration on your product development and. I can only imagine, right? Because there's a fair amount of people that are coming from like from kind of a provider environment, right? You're you're a nurse by background. There's other physicians that have ideas for devices, and they're like, I don't I don't even know how to get started. But you did. You got started and accelerate and move like you know extremely extremely quickly. So give, give give us a sense for kind of how you thought about tackling kind of this early stage development, especially knowing that you didn't have a lot of capital to work with. Right. So when we raised our first round of funding, we had a lot of really great advisors. We had been through this program called the Creative Destruction Lab, um, the Health Stream. So it's kind of like a global business mentoring program that was super helpful. And we connected with some really um, experienced advisors and mentors that I had formed a relationship with. And so we already kind of had a tactical plan and our strategic imperatives were already in place kind of by the time that I had raised the round of funding. Um, but the first thing that we did was outsource product development to um, Ironstone Product Development. It's a full 
local ISO 1345 certified medical device design company in the greater Toronto area. And um, so really that's how we were able to move quickly. It was like literally just outsource and then pressure test everything with external consultants really. And the interesting thing is that those external consultants actually grew to become employees, but that's kind of how we set everything up super early. And, uh, you know, it was peak COVID pretty much, right? So like we, what we did, we were able to do, get in basically and work with some really brilliant groups of ICU nurses. So we take in the device and I literally would act as the subject, the healthy volunteer. And um, so they would use the device basically on me and we would videotape everything and then uh, have like a system, systematic like interviews with each of the end users, like to kind of unpack questions that the design team had. And this really like allowed us to observe the, the same feedback and and unpack it from different perspectives from mm. quality, engineering, clinical, manufacturing, marketing. Like they all kind of like look at that feedback from a different perspective. So that was really cool. And and so we bring back, incorporate basically the changes and then bring it back again. So we did that five different times and having the insights from these like really experienced smart nurses was really invaluable. And it's kind of how we were really quickly able to move and achieve design freeze with what we feel is the very best, um, the best design in terms of, you know, material specifications and user requirements, marketing requirements, that kind of stuff. Got it. So a couple of follow-up questions, kind of hearing, hearing you, hearing you riff a little bit on this, on this topic. So one would be, I, I could see, I could see, you know, someone listening to this and being like, you know, Dan, you make it sound so easy, right? You just identified a, a great design partner, uh, design a development partner, and, you know, curated a, a, a team of experts and you're off to the races. But I think most of us have um, sort of been there in that early stage and maybe picked the wrong, the wrong partner right out of the gates and, you know, kind of stumbled along a little bit. So were there, did you go really broad in, in terms of how you identified the right partner to work with? Or did you, did were you kind of just fortunate to kind of, you know, no, find, we find did it? a ton of research. So mm-hmm. we did like interviews with like four or five different product development companies, chatted mm-hmm. to companies that they had worked with, found companies that they didn't give us as references, talked to them. Like it was like that, that piece that a lot of research went into finding like the right partners. And then also, you know, like I said, like I'm not a quality expert. I've mm-hmm. definitely went out and learned as much as I can could about all of those different work streams that are necessary. But um, I then had to go out and find, you know, a quality expert to attend those meetings and pressure test everything that we were being mm-hmm. told by the larger design team. And and it was just kind of a logical way to approach it. I didn't have enough time to learn everything about yeah. all those aspects of product development, but I found good people to work with, I think, and make yeah. sure that we were de-risking the company in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I greatly appreciate the fact that like you didn't, I, I, again, you're kind of coming, coming into this kind of the, the, the startup, startup ecosystem. I mean, running a startup in another vertical is hard enough, but yet alone with all of the, the constraints inside of, uh, inside the kind of the, the med tech space. I always like to say it's like playing the, playing the startup game on hard mode. And so, um, you know, super impressive that you're able to kind of curate the, those experts. So even, even thinking, you know, take kind of taking a step back and, and kind of re- you referenced the, I think, Accelerator or the, what would you call it? Destruction Lab, I think was some sort of like- Creative Destruction Lab. Yeah. It was did, phenomenal. It was a great program. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, do you, did you kind of have a knack for for like how how to put some of these pieces together, these functional work streams together or like coming out of that like Creative Destruction Lab or that like that kind of quasi incubator? Were you, I mean, did you, did you learn enough there where you felt like, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to kind of like, like really start going, going after, uh, going at this. Yeah. And it gave me the best part about CDL is that it literally just gives you the network of people mm. to tap 
too as well. So it kind of, it's re- super interesting. So it starts in the fall, ends in the summer. And basically you go every eight weeks and say, these are our strategic imperatives that we're working on. This is what we think is most important. Cause you know what it's like, you start and it's, you're like a chicken with your head cut off. Right. And you need to <laughs> really focus on like, what things do you need one foot in front of the other kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, so you go pitch first, you have these, uh, five meetings with like five 20 minute meetings with four or five different people in each one. So you get to research them, figure Mm. out what questions you want to ask them. And then you present to like the larger room and then someone either can choose to mentor you or not. So we ended up having some really great mentors who kind of stayed with us throughout the program. And one of our mentors there ended up being the lead of our pre-seed round, um, Ray Mizuka from Threshold Impact. So, but also like, it just gives you that, like, you know, if they don't know how to answer the question, they know someone else in that network who can help you kind of thing. So it was the network is there, like helped us put together the pieces and being able to tap into people like with various backgrounds and specialties is really awesome. Like we definitely wouldn't have moved so quickly without that early experience. Yeah, yeah, that net, that network is um, can just accelerate, right? How how quickly you can build out a network, uh, you know, moving through yep. uh, moving through a, a kind of an accelerator or incubator uh, program like that. So, um, before we kind of jump to kind of ClinReg, right? Because you, again, you've been able to accomplish quite a bit in that sort of topic area in, in a short amount of time. But before we get there, anything else that you can think of with respect to kind of your early stage development that was either ended up being super helpful or you know something that maybe redo things again that you you, you do differently. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like we were really lucky to be able to move forward so quickly, especially Mm -hmm. given that we were all working remotely as a virtual team. Like, I think the plan that we had put together really worked well. But I think, too, like, again, pressure testing with other experienced, well-recommended consultants in terms of regulatory, um, you know, clinical and all that stuff. And you need to have a backup plan always because you never know if something's going to fall through. Like there's, you need to have kind of multiple irons in the fire all the time. If you want to <laughs> move, if you want to move forward quickly and pursue like multiple parallel paths at the same time, you need to have like multiple options for each different thing in case something doesn't pan out. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I heard uh, Kate Rumroll, who's the CEO of a blade of solutions was recently on the program and she, uh, she's a good phrase, right? She's like, as a CEO, you, uh, especially, especially kind of the life sciences, you always need to be, you know, looking around the, the, the corner or at least trying to, right. You know, maybe you're, yeah your plan B and plan C aren't going to end up working, but you need to at least have them, you know, and be thinking about kind of what's, uh, what's, what's, what's next, even if you can't see around, around the corners, which I thought was a, and a it's very, interesting very too, Like not every other organization is able to move as quickly as you are as a startup. Mm-hmm. And they're also maybe not motivated to move as quickly as you are as a star- startup too. I would say sometimes I, I joke and I'm like, I feel like my job is like, you know, walking the line between like, you know, pestering people and still being likable. Like it's fun. <laughs> that's, that, that's interesting. I mean, there, there's a good, there's a really healthy balance to play there, right? Because yeah. um, if you're not sort of pestering, if you're not being that squeaky wheel, yeah, you're probably not pushing hard enough. But at the same time, you sort of need to be winsome too, right? Because if you if you're always being the uh, you know that squeaky wheel or that annoying you know, startup person, you know, you're not going to be able to win over right a, a team, whether it's an internal team or an external team. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's definitely then- a, a healthy balance. I think another thing too, it's like, you know, one thing is people are so generous with their time. Like people that you meet in your network are like, Hey, like willing to talk to you and introduce you to someone else. And like, you know, it's interesting too. Like you, you also can't be, you know, there's a balance there too, but I always joke that I'm constantly asking for favors and I'm excited to one day be in a position to return favors or do favors for other people. Cause literally at this point I'm always asking. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it seems like a, a constant theme with some of the, um, 
the the most kind of uh, the fastest moving kind of the most ambi- the, the more ambitious founders and CEOs I've on the program is like they're always kind of just sort of curious and they're not afraid to ask right they're not afraid to just ask the question and hey maybe maybe it's a silly question to someone who's done quality for twenty years but right I don't know I, I don't really care I need to silly. understand I'm gonna ask. I don't yeah know exactly sorry to interrupt yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah no it's good it seems like a, a very common characteristic of a lot of a lot of really really solid uh, founders and CEOs uh, before we get to Ray Clinton I do want to ask you since we're on this topic this is one of the things that I I noticed when kind of looking at your your background and 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 the team that you have in place at Swiftsure is is really the group of people that you've been able to curate alongside you, right? Which I think has obviously been instrumental, it sounds like, in, in being able to move as fast and kind of reach you know, the, the number of milestones that you have in a short amount of time. But that's not easy either, right? Um, especially being someone new to kind of the, like building, you know, sort of building their first startup. And so when you think about like, you know, lo- looking back, I guess, right, over that journey of of kind of curating the right the right group of people around you, you know, what, what has been maybe super helpful or, or like how you've been able to do that maybe is the best way to, the, the short way of, of asking that question. So I think. Hey there, it's Scott. And thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadeem Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash premium.